Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is our weekly Twitter spaces uh, with Pinstripe Alley. Uh, I'm Josh Demert, a staff writer at PSA. Going to be joined by a couple of our writers in a minute. Just give us a second to get everything set up and we will uh, we'll get started. Um, I hope everybody is enjoying the spring training game against the Blue Jays. I can't watch it because MLB, MLB TV is very stupid blackout. And uh, even though the game is being played in Florida between a team that plays in New York and a team that plays in Toronto, I, an MLB TV subscriber in Vancouver, uh, cannot watch it. So that's fun. I heard Josh Donaldson doubled. That sounds cool. He looks really good this spring. Joining me today, uh, as always, uh, Peter Brody, fellow staff writer at Pinstrip Alley. Hello, Peter. How are you? Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me again. Looking forward to the conversation today. How's how's your week? Uh, how are you? How are you doing on sort of a mental and emotional level? Uh, it depends if this is in reference to anything in particular or just a general question. I'm literally just asking how you're doing. Oh, I don't know why I'm you have to make doing, it complicated. Oh, okay. No, I'm doing very well. I I uh, visited my grandmother uh, over the weekend, and the good feeling of that has continued into the week. Aw, love that. Uh, also joining of my bosses, uh, Ryan Pavich, who is a chicken strips kid. Hello, Ryan. All right, we're starting off with this. Hello. We are. Yeah, we're getting started early with it. So just so everybody knows, we're going to do a draft later on. Um, I initially wanted to do a draft about weird contract clauses after the whole Albert Pujols thing. Um, we decided to not do that because there's only really like four or five interesting contract clauses that I think are worth talking about. Um, Roy Oswalt having a clause that says he gets a free tractor from the Houston Astros was a really good one. Um, so I, we're going to do a draft later about overrated food. And we found out that Peter just does not experiment with food at all, which is, which is interesting. Um, but before we get into that, um, we got a couple of things that we want to talk about that's actually related to baseball. Um, I want to talk about sort of the way that the Yankees bullpen is shaping up for this season. I think there's some interesting changes to the way the Yankees are thinking about bullpens and investing in bullpens. Uh, we should probably talk about Aaron Judge's extent. We're going to do a little bit of a, of a preseason preview as well with uh, some award picks now that opening day is only a week away. Um, but before we get into all that, um, Blake Rutherford was DFA'd yesterday by the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Blake Rutherford was one of the main pieces in the 2017 trade deadline deal uh, that brought David Robertson and Tommy Canley and Todd Frazier uh, to New York. And this was one of those, this was one of the bigger trades at that deadline. Uh, this was also one of those trades that I think <laughs> the Yankees very clearly won. Todd Frazier was very helpful uh, in sort of the back half of 2017, picking up some of the offensive slack after Matt Holiday went down with like mono or whatever, uh, as well as playing really good defense. Uh, and then obviously Tommy Canley and David Robertson uh, were excellent. Uh, Robertson coming in in the wildcard game after Seve blew up was alone probably worth the trade. But the thing that really stuck out to me was... Blake Rutherford was DFA'd. He, he's never played in the majors. The White Sox were just tired of having him around. And maybe he catches on in some other role, uh, but there's a really good chance that his affiliated career is over. When Blake Rutherford was traded, his preseason uh, ranking, he was a consensus top 50 prospect. Uh, I believe I was looking at 
BA, MLB, uh, and Baseball Prospectus all had him uh, in the top 50. And he was a 19-year-old power-hitting corner outfielder. And we can quibble about, like, how prospects are ranked and, and things like that. But I think it's just worth being that there were a lot of people, I remember because I covered this deal, there were a lot of people that were really upset we gave up Blake Rutherford because he was supposed to be, you know, it was going to be him and Judge and uh, Clint Frazier. Oh, imagine how that happened. Um, that were going to be in the outfield and, and, and be sort of this, this big power hitting core of the team. And um, obviously that didn't happen. And now the Yankees have a consensus top 50. Whatever you think about him higher than that, he is a top 50 prospect. Uh, and he is 19 years old. And he's a power hitting outfielder. His name is Jason Dominguez. And I think it's just worth remembering whenever we have conversations around prospects. Yes, we are all sure that every single prospect is going to hit. I've talked a lot about what I think about Anthony Volpe and how great he is. Um are much more likely to have Blake Rutherford's career as a prospect uh, than anything else. And uh, that that's why I, I say trade your prospects every single time because uh, Blake Rutherford got DFA'd yesterday and the Yankees got uh, two relievers and a pretty solid, you know, back of the lineup, bat and glove. Um Ryan, did you have any thoughts on, on Blake Rutherford? So I also was just coming on to the, around the time of that trade. Um, I think, obviously, you, you drew the parallel, the Domingos, and I think it's interesting in the ways that they're both similar and different. I think the biggest difference, a lot of people will point to the hype that Domingos has drawn whether it's fair or not fair, how much hype has been put around them. I think the biggest difference you could point to at the moment, though, is that the Yankees had to uh, essentially barter for Dominguez. They, they had to win him over. They had to send their max value to sign him, whereas Rutherford was just draft pick. And I think it's far more willing the team has shown to gamble on their draft picks where they've really succeeded signing outside of the United States. Peter, do you have anything to add to that before I just get oh, into? Yeah, no, jokes? sorry. I, yeah, I want to no. talk about how Blake Rutherford was actually covered. Cause I actually, I actually disagree with Pavich a little bit. Um, but yeah, Peter, did you have thoughts on, on Rutherford and sort of just the general, like get rid of all your prospects. So, so I didn't have any specific thoughts on Rutherford. Um, I do have thoughts about Jason. Um, so I don't know if you want to share what you have to say about Rutherford and then maybe if we can steer the, the conversation towards Jason for like a little bit before moving on. Um, I, I do have some, some things to say about him. Sure. So uh, the point that I just want to draw really quickly, I just got to pull up uh, the Yankees top prospects here um, for this, for this year. Um, so in 2017, the start of the 2017 season, Blake Rutherford was, the third overall prospect uh, in the Yankee system. And remember, this is a Yankee system that was pretty good. Like the names on this list, Labor Torres, Clint Frazier, James Caprillion. Hey, nothing ever happened with him. Aaron Judge, Jorge Mateo, Dustin Fowler, Justice Sheffield. This was like sort of, this was the baby bombers as we understood it. And um, Peter and I were talking yesterday when this happened about draft rankings or um, 
prospect rankings can be kind of suspect because really if you're outside the top 20 like the top 20 is blue chip guys and then 21 to 50 are like these guys are good but they're not they're not world beaters and then the after the 51st ranked prospect you're just like a good minor league ball player like you can't really project that that far into the future at, at that ranking and so peter said you know i like to go off of future value which is a metric that uh, is often assigned it's the 20 to 80 scale and uh, again like i'm looking at the preseason prospect list on fangraphs in 2017 blake rutherford at 19 playing rookie ball uh has a 55 future value and the most recent write-up about jason dominguez at 19 playing at a ball uh he has a 50 future value so blake rutherford at least in terms of what he's actually going to produce um, at the major league level was considered to be more advanced than Dominguez. And so that's why I don't necessarily buy this. I don't buy the sunk cost fallacy with the Yankees. I don't think that they buy into the sunk cost fallacy of development. I think they've been pretty aggressive um, in, in moving players when necessary. And so I guess I just don't like, I'm not, I'm not here to rain on, on Jason Dominguez, but I just think like it's a good reminder of the future outcomes of prospects that uh, Jason Dominguez is much more likely to never play a game in the majors and be DFA'd by the time he's 24 uh, than he is to, you know, be a serious end of season awards contender. Sure. And to add on to that, I, I think, I'm also generally in the same camp as you do this. I think, you know, improving the current team, especially one that has less of an infinite uh, championship window than teams of the past with the Yankees, you know, there's there's clearly more of a restraint and they've got a core in place currently. You should go to try and win with that core. I think totally down with selling on prospects to try and improve the current team. Um but I do think they're, and this is based off of my memory of the time, but I believe Rutherford was climbing in the prospect ranks at that time, whereas Dominguez has sort of, well, not sort it, of, his definition sharply. Yeah. 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 And and also to add on to that, I do agree with, with Pavich that like the minute that Jason joined the organization, like he was instantly dropped onto like, it was like he was something like top 60, I want to say, overall prospect in majors. So he's always had, Ever since anybody, you know, stateside had heard of this guy, he's always had these massive expectations attached to him. Um, And I agree with you, Josh, that Rutherford is is kind of just like the next in a long line of like example after example of why you just can't you can't get you know get there's no guarantee that your top prospects are going to pan out. I mean, the like for the current generation, young generation Yankees fans, it starts with like Montero and you know, extends from there, Blake Rutherford just joining their ranks. Um, so, I mean, I agree with both of you. I'm always, I've always been of the camp of trade your top prospects for impact now players, especially when you have the infrastructure in place with guys like Judge and Stanton and, and Cole to maximize your window of opportunity. I mean, granted, we know that that's just not the way that the Yankees operate. We know that they want to um, basically have an infinite window of contention that doesn't necessarily mean uh you know favorites to win but at least make it into the playoffs but that's kind of diverging if i can if i can return to jason uh i have no problem uh speaking ill 
of of Mr. Dominguez. Um, so putting aside like just okay, so if we can just brush up on some of the some of the worrying trends that we saw uh, in his first season uh, of pro ball, uh, there was the over striking out in over a third of his at bats in low and high A or low A, excuse me. And it pitchers only get better from there. Um, there was the fifty plus percent ground ball rate. There was the general uh, general inability to make contact. Um, uh, there's concerns about his weight, which I just don't really want to put too much, don't want to buy, don't want to read too much into that. But there's also concerns about his, uh, long-term tenability at, if it's, he, if he really is a center fielder long-term. And if we're already making, asking those sort of questions when he's 19 going on 20 in low A, uh, you know, I think, I think you, he loses a massive chunk of his value if we're already, you know, toying with the idea of moving him to a corner outfield spot. But if I can move away from some of the focus analysis and just kind of editorialize here for a second, um, one of the one of the things that I see amongst Yankees fans that drives me crazy, especially when it pertains to prospects, is this kind of double standard of um, getting all up in arms about how unfair it is that he was uh, compared to Mike Trout and Mickey Mantle and all the all of the unnecessary hype that was built up around him before he had even played a game you know, in the Yankees organization. Um, well, if you believe that that's unfair and if you're willing to accept that maybe he will never live up to those standards and that we should be fine should he become an above average <clears throat> uh, MLBer, um, then why, if those, those people are the same people who, who clutch him in a death grip and say that we can't trade him at any cost. And then that brings up the debate that we had on an earlier podcast about what it means to be an untouchable prospect. I mean, if we're willing to accept that, may, that uh, you know, Jason will just be merely an above average ball player, um, and if that's a level of production that we're okay with, then why is that not, why is that a player that we're so unwilling to move? You know, does that make sense? Like, you can't have it both ways. Either yeah. you have sky high expectations for him. And comparing his age 19 season to the likes of like Mike Trout and Acuna and Tatis and Soto, like that is the caliber of player we need to be talking about if we're going to label a prospect untouchable. So I think that there is some weight that you can put into the fact that he did not hit those, those benchmarks in his age 19 season, forcing us to readjust our expectations of him. And then, you know, like I said, does that does that make him more expendable? I I happen to think so. Um, and you look at it was uh, what what Pavich brought up in in the chat was you look at some of the players that potentially Jason could have been included in a package for. You look at Olsen. You look at Montas or Manaya. Those, like Ryan said, those are more impact more impactful players than the the people that um, Blake Rutherford brought back. So. No, I don't know that Sean Mania is. I don't. I don't understand. Okay, yeah, I don't, not, I don't understand my fascination with Sean Mania. No, I, I agree. Not Mania. One to one. No, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. wipe that from the. If table. you're talking about like a package deal, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Jason Dominguez because I don't really think there's much point in talking about him until the minor league season starts and we get an idea of how he's how he's playing. 
Uh, Brian, I see that you requested. I'm going to get to you uh, the moment that we're done this game. But I'm going to play a very quick game with you guys. Um, so I have the 2017 top prospect list up in front of me. Uh, the Yankees had eight uh, 50 future value guys. And 50 is like, if you're a 50 future value, I mean, again, like the error bars on prospects, we know all, all about those. But if you're a 50 future value you can start to see something like you can start to see, okay, like this guy could have a role with a major league ball club. Um, So I'm going to list them all. I'm going to list all eight. And I want you to tell me whether you would rather have them on the Yankees or have dealt them when given the opportunity. Does that make sense? So we're talking about the 2017 retroactively. Yeah. Yeah. One uh, 60 future value. Libertores. Would you rather have him today or have dealt him? Uh, is this in hindsight? With the... of course, it's hindsight. Okay. Well, uh, uh, I mean, dealt him, considering some of the rumors of the people he could have returned. Yeah, it, it's hard to not say that when, like, you think about the Luis Castillo rumors and yep. all that. Right. Okay. Nope. 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 We're not doing a debate club. It's just quick fire, rapid fire. It's a quick game. Sure. Clint okay. Frazier. Trade or kept? Trade. Trade. Blake Rutherford, trade or kept? I think we all traded him. Trade. James Caprillion, yeah. trade or kept? Trade. Aaron trade. Judge, trade or kept? Kept. Kept. Trade or kept? I couldn't hear you on that one. Mateo? Uh, Mateo? Trade. Dustin Fowler, trade or keep? Trade. Trade. Justice Sheffield, trade or keep? Trade. Trade. Uh, the Sheffield would be the only other one that I'd be like. I, I would like to see what, what Matt Blake could have done with him because uh, I don't think that uh, was a great deal for the Yankees. Okay, but we have one guy, maybe two. The best prospect class the Yankees have maybe ever had in their history uh, that they would have kept. Instead, it would have made more sense to keep than to trade. Uh, so, again... The minor league season is going to start, and we're going to have a lot of time to talk about prospects. But I just think it's worth mentioning. Get into Twitter Spaces when I have a little league meeting. Dan, sorry, posted in our Slack. Stop, stop being a parent. I guess um, I don't have kids. <laughs> Everyone should be like me. Um, Brian, you've been waiting. Uh, so sorry, Brian. I'm going to actually ask you to. I'm going to let you speak, but I just want to say, like, to anybody else in the space, we've been having some issues where, like. Uh, folks have requested and then never spoken. Um, I see that you ends up. Uh, I just generally don't want to like interrupt someone. So like, yep, if you have know. a comment or a question, we're happy to get to you. And then, but just like, it just might not be like right away. But Brian, go ahead. What's up? So I just wanted to get your guys' uh, feelings on I on my kind of the philosophy of like Brian Cashman is and the kind of the Yankees. Whereas in, I think it was 2013 when they missed the playoffs. I might be wrong around that year. Either 12 or 13. I think, I think it was when the, the first year Posada wasn't on the team was when they didn't make the playoffs. They missed in 2013 and 2015. Yes. So I feel like Cashman doesn't want to put himself in that position again. And I feel like the days of the five, four, you know, two blue chip um, players and emptying, and emptying the farm system for one superstar – two superstars it's never gonna it's not gonna happen again with the yankees unless it's like the final final you know player that they need but i just don't think that's gonna happen i think he likes having 
these players come up. And even if they burn out and don't turn out, like Frazier or Andujar, I think he likes just he just I think the philosophy of the Yankees, and I I mean like this is just my belief, is just gather have as much talent in the farm system, on the bench, as backups, and then fill in the gaps with your your free agents and your superstars that you developed. And the days of like trading that guy Dominguez and you know Velope, I don't know how to pronounce the name, all those players, it's just not it's not gonna be it's not gonna be done unless it's like almost like a guarantee that that's exactly step or it's like they already have a young position player in that. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think, I think you're definitely right about some of those points. Um, I do think, like I said, like, I think the Yankees have been pretty aggressive. If you look at their, the trade deadline just last summer, pretty aggressive at moving prospects actually. Um, but I think, I think that the like the overarching philosophy of this New York Yankees administration is we are never going to go over the CBT threshold three seasons in a row. And we will move heaven and earth to reset the CBT threshold once every three years. And so that's why last summer they dealt a ton of prospects. They probably overpaid for Joey Gallo relative to what he would have cost other teams because they wanted Texas to take on all that money. And the same thing with Clay Holmes. Um, they wanted these guys playing effectively for zero dollars uh, in order to reset the CBT, and so that's why they overpaid the prospects. Um, so I think that that's more important than anything else. I think that I do think that the Yankees approach the postseason as like as long as we get in, we have a a one in twelve shot of winning now. Um, so the focus needs to be on winning the. 90 to 94 games in the regular season that it takes to get into the postseason. But I think that you can't decouple the need to constantly be resetting the CBT because that's why they're not going to deal Volpe or Dominguez because they need those guys to come up when Aaron Judge is getting paid $28, $30 million a year. You need to have Jason Dominguez, you know, in left field earning 700K to balance out that kind of commitment to Judge. Um, So I think that, I think that, the financial aspect is is maybe more important than the competitive aspect. I don't know, Ryan, Peter, do you guys do you guys see it differently? No, I think you're pretty on point. I think if if the Yankees weren't as concerned about the CBT thresholds as they are, then they'd be well on their way to mimicking the Dodgers system of plug and play wherever, pull up from your system, just constantly be refreshing, have as much depth as you can. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And like you said, Josh, it's they uh, Brian is right in saying that Cashman loves his prospects, but it's because they're cheap, not because they uh, add to the Yankees competitiveness. So this is tangentially related. But do you think the Yankees more than any other team sort of place that untouchable label on their prospects? I, I know like they need to keep some of them for the reasons we just listed, but it feels like. Over the past few years, they, they've been more hesitant on names that they really should consider, at least. No, I definitely agree with that take. Um, like, And it's such a stark contrast, for example, with the Dodgers. They dealt their top two prospects last trade deadline for Trey and, and Max Scherzer. So, it, I mean, it really is. I think it's a, the Dodgers are the perfect foil for the Yankees in that regard uh, in terms of, you know, cashing in the chips every time they feel that they have a shot to win the to win a title um and yeah this whole 
this whole hugging of quote unquote untouchable prospects. I mean, it, I feel like labor is a perfect example. I feel like, and Duhar and Clint are a perfect example. And then now we're seeing it with Volpe and Praza and, and Jason. Yeah. I mean like the, the, the golden example is not trading Miguel and and chance Adams for Garrett Cole, um, which I mean, I don't think that any, I don't think you should ever be fired for not making a trade, but that is, that is a, a wonderful example of like, where, where is chance Adams? Like I love chance Adams. Cause he was my first ever like interview of a pro player, but chance Adams burnt out of the majors, bro. And Miguel Andujar doesn't have a position in the majors. So yeah, I, I definitely agree that the Yankees, the Yankees put a status on their prospects that I'm not sure other teams do. I also think that you can be concerned. Like, I don't know if you guys listened to the effectively wild preview of the Dodgers, but I thought Craig Goldstein did a good job of like, there is real risk in, in the Dodgers roster this year and their system is not, you know, it, it's not what it was two, three years ago where it is going to be a little bit harder to make adjustments if you need to, but God, that happened after five years of winning what three pennants and a world series uh, and the Yankees haven't gotten out of the ALCS. So even if you want to bake in that, yeah, there's risk on the Dodgers side, number one, they're still the best team in baseball. And number two, that risk is the downside risk of six straight division titles, a world series and three pennants, which the Yankees have yeah. none of those things. Um, and, oh, and I was just going to add, and as the Dodgers have shown, if, if they, if and when they come to those issues of having maybe a somewhat of a bear farm, uh, when issues arise on the major league roster, they're just going to spend money to address it. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, this is not a Dodgers space. Um, I think that that roster is a little bit older than people maybe expect it to be, and um, the money is is locked up a little bit more than than people would expect. Um, but we'll see. This is not a Dodgers space. We don't need to talk yeah. about the Dodgers. Um, so we did have on this agenda, um, talk about the Aaron Judge extension. Um, I don't know. Has there been news on the Judge extension that I've missed? Do we really need to talk about this? I haven't seen anything since it was announced that they were planning on making the offer. They were planning yeah. on preparing to potentially make him an offer at some point by the end of the week. Right? Yeah, that's about where we're at. Okay. Yeah. Pavish, do you have anything to say? I mean, you weren't. We talked a little bit about Judge last week, but where do you see? I mean, are you a seven-year, two hundred ten million dollar person, or are you you hedging that a little bit? Um, I think it's a little difficult to say exactly how much money he's going to end up with. I think if you want to talk six, seven years, there's a way to make that work, especially considering you know they've already hedged years down the line with the DJ contract. So if you're going to do that with one of your older players who isn't like the superstar of the team, you might as well do it with the actual superstar of the team. Hmm. Let's talk bullpen a little bit because I think something really interesting is happening with the Yankees bullpen. Um, They've always spent more than just about anybody other than again, the Dodgers uh, on on relief pitching. And, you know, I go back and forth on why they do this. I think predominantly the reason why is they've been unable to develop their own starting pitching and they've been unwilling to spend the money that it costs to get real good starting pitching 
So the alternative has been, let's get starting pitching that's fine. You know, we'll pay J.A. Happ or we'll trade for a Jamison Tyone. And, you know, they'll be fine. But we can have this super bullpen in the back uh, that is a lot cheaper and a little bit more reliable. And it's a lot cheaper than the starting rotation, I should say. Relative to the rest of the league, they spend a lot of money and they're giving Aroldis Chapman and uh, Zach Britton $32 million combined uh, between the two of them. Zach Britton's not going to pitch this year and Aroldis Chapman is going to pitch, what, 60 innings about that? Uh, even if he's really good, he's still only pitching 60 innings. Um, but outside of that, if you look at their relief core, you have uh, Jolie Rodriguez, who's a free agent at the end of the year. I don't really think they would care if they brought him back or not. Uh, and then Chad Green is a of the year as well. Excuse me. I don't know why there's something stuck in my, uh, stuck in my nose here. Um, Wandy Peralta is under control for one more year. Clay, two. Lucas Lipke, two. Jonathan Weisiger, two. Those four players are combined to make two, three point six five, four and a half million dollars between the four of them this year, and they're projected to be worth what? One, two, five and a half wins. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, is is this? Is this trend changing for the Yankees? Do you think going forward, they're going to realize what everybody else in baseball has realized that the core of your bullpen and even like the guys that you're putting in high leverage spots like Loisaga, uh, you don't need to give them $15 million. You can kind of make them as you go. Yeah, I think for the longest time, uh, they kind of followed the model that the Royals established when they won the World Series, which was just Super Bullpen, throw out arms as early as the sixth inning, win that way. And it was always a bit of a weird fit because the Royals had to win that way. That was the hand they were dealt. The Yankees could afford to build and other chose to do it this way. And now they're sort of reflexively going back on that. And... I mean, to their success, they found a number of good arms last year. They really built up the bullpen again after it looked like it was stagnating over the past couple of years. And so I think, could they let Chapman walk at the end of the year? Maybe. Could they pay him a slightly less amount? Maybe. I I don't know how that's going to work out, but it's the option is there now. And I think they, they've seen that they can succeed this way yeah i i still think it's about a coin flip whether or not they keep chapman around even though as you say they've they've demonstrated that they can they can make it work without having to you know make that big investment in these you know aging closer types um and also to your point about the royals like i mean you hit the nail on the head they it was the hand they were dealt they were forced to build their team that way because they couldn't afford you know uh, two or three long-term contracts uh, at top dollar for impact starting pitching, whereas the Yankees absolutely can and choose not to. And I think that goes back to Josh's point about having payroll flexibility of limiting the number of long-term contracts on your payroll so that you can reset the CBT every three years. But uh, with the negative talk, I think one of the most exciting developments uh, 
from the Yankees over the last couple of years is the way that they've seemingly uh, built their bullpen on the fly with these sort of, you know, really under the radar acquisitions. Um, and it's, you know, I hesitate to uh, attribute too much uh, credit to Matt Blake because I don't know. I, I think there's, there are pitfalls to just saying, give me this pitcher and my, my pitching coach will, you know, work his magic. But uh you know, I'm willing, I am willing to believe in Matt Blake. Um, and so there's a really interesting, there's a really good Twitter follow for y'all. Uh, it's at DBIT lefty. And so he does a lot of kind of like pitching mechanic breakdowns and stuff. And so Matt Blake was, was regarded as a, as a pitch design guru when he was with Cleveland, like guys like Clevenger and Savali have raved about his ability to like he takes in an idea and then can really make it actionable in terms of like pitch shape and spin and stuff like that. Um, And I think he is starting to exert that influence on the Yankee staff. So this, this, uh, this Twitter follow at DBIT lefty, um, he has broken down the way that a lot of Yankees pitchers this spring, um, Chad Green, uh, Jonathan Loisega, uh, Michael King, Clay Holmes, um, a lot of their breaking balls have uh, started to integrate a lot more horizontal sweep, sweeping movement in it. Like um, if you think about Corey Kluber, like the Kluber ball, the the ephemeral Corey Kluber breaking ball, um, the success that he had with it, I think Blake is kind of grabbing it and taking it and running with it. And so I think it's just such a cool development to actually have a pitching department that's that's able to identify these different facets and capabilities within their pitchers and and actually put them into action because it's one thing to know okay here's what my pitcher needs to do to be successful but it's another thing entirely to actually get the buy-in and the the to get the pitchers to actually like do what you're telling them to so kudos you know fingers crossed that it continues and it's definitely i think it's something to keep an eye on um Keep an eye on the on the shape of those uh, Yankee reliever breaking balls because I think it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I'm careful with just assigning all praise to a coach. Uh, I think I just think the half life on that can be really really short. Um, this is something that happened with uh, Ray Searage in Pittsburgh, where he was the god, and you could send him whatever pitcher, and he would teach them to throw two seamers inside and you had a, you had a Cy Young contender and then all of a sudden he wasn't. And certainly he, uh, you know, completely fucked up Garrett Cole uh, by, you know, telling him not to throw one of, if not the game's single best four seam fastball and throw two seamers instead. Um, so I, I do think you have to be careful, but I, I, I agree with you that um, I think that the bullpen is going to be, a strength of this team as always. I'm particularly interested in Clay Holmes and Jonathan Mawizaga as a very proud former Jonathan Mawizaga hater. Uh, last year was a revelation. I think that Clay Holmes might end up being the best relief pitcher in baseball, especially if they let him go more than one inning. Um, Pavich, a uh, question for you, though. Um, do you believe in projections? Uh, for the most part, sure. Okay. So do you know who the the reliever with the highest projected war for this season is? Do you know? In baseball or on the Yankees? Yes, in baseball. 
I think it was Liam Hendricks. Yeah, you're right. Do you know who was second? Don't remember second. It's Josh Hader. Do you know who's fourth? Mm, fourth. Uh, Chapman? Uh, don't worry. It's Rizal Iglesias. And do you know gotcha. who's sixth? It's a role this Chapman. No. Okay. And seventh is Evan Diaz. So, you know, seven of four of the top seven relievers uh, by projected war are also four of the highest paid. The four guys that are making, you know, eight figures uh, on contracts. Obviously, Liam Hendricks signed that big three fifty-four million dollar deal. Um, so, you know, is it actually worth paying for relievers? I mean, like, if we're talking Those... projections, if we're talking projections, these are the best pitchers in baseball. If we look at the sort of the last three years of relief performance, those four guys are all over the leaderboard. Um, Does projections weigh heavily on saves or not? No, it's just war, right? Just war? Okay. I don't care about um, saves, do you? No, I don't. I just I don't know how it calculates up. No, I think so, there's, there's I mean, arguments to be made. Mm, I think... I mean, Mariano Rivero made more money than any reliever ever, and sure. that was a good investment for the Yankees as well. I, I think it, it was apparent for a long time, though. Like, it, there was no point where outside of maybe George trying to trade him in his earliest years where you were ever going to bet against Mariano. Sure. Um, I, I think it's fair to say, I mean, the guys have earned their money, obviously. Like, when you're at the top of the level for as long as you are, I'm always going to be pro player getting their money. But I do think it's the most volatile position in baseball, being a reliever, and it's quite easy to fall off. I think making... $10 million as a reliever, maybe on a one or two year deal is a viable solution. I would struggle to go past that. So like multi-year deals are probably where I'd cut off the line. Yeah. I mean, I think like the, I think the, the, the problem with the Yankees bullpen is not so much, it's not signing Chapman or Britain. It's having them both. Um, that is, that is such a constraint on their payroll. Um, but that's just me. Anyway, we've talked a lot. Um, let's get into some picks. Uh, so for everybody, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, every single year we run uh, Pinstripe Alley predictions. Unlike a lot of people, like this is one of my favorite times to listen to Effectively Wild because everyone just whines about having to make predictions and like, ooh, I love making predictions. It's fun. Come at me if I'm wrong. I don't care what I got the war leader prediction wrong. Who cares? Um, I have won contest uh, multiple times in my tenure uh, with PSA. Um, so we're going to just go through sort of the major awards. Uh, I'm not going to ask people to do standings because then why would anybody read the article if we just gave it all away like that? Um, but, sure. you know, let's look at uh, the major awards and give our picks for them. We're going to start with sort of the small ones and work our way up. Uh, AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, Bob Wood Jr., Ryan? Rookie of the year is always hardest for me because I am woefully unprepared with other people's prospect systems and knowing who's coming up. Um, I'll just piggyback with Peter on that one. Yeah, I, uh, I'm struggling with whether it will be Witt or Rutschmond. Um, I'm super high on Adley Rutschmond, uh, as I think everybody should be. Um I think that Bobby Witt Jr. is going to break camp with the Royals. I don't think that Dayton Moore 
is a guy that really manipulates service time in that way. So I think that Witt is just going to play more games than Rutschman will. Um, and I think that's going to probably be the difference. Even if Witt, it, it, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Kansas City put him instead of it short. Uh, and that might take a chunk out of his value, but I, I think I agree. I think I would agree that it'll be Bobby Wood Jr. Um, NL Rookie of the Year. So I was I was tempted to pick O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates, but they just sent him down, and they're clearly mm-hmm. manipulating his service time, so I'll go with yeah. Sorry, who are you going with? Suzuki from, from Japan. Yeah, so... Just one quick second about Saya Suzuki. Um, so Fangraphs has Fangraphs projection for him is a 142 WRC plus and a 4.1 WAR in 131 games. Does that sound high to anybody else? <laughs> that sounds very optimistic. I'm sure the Cubs would take that. <laughs> I mean, like I, I understand he was a gr- he was a great player in Japan. I'm not I'm not taking that away from him. 142 WRC that's that's he. They're basically saying he's going to be Aaron Judge in fifteen fewer games than Judge played last year. Like that's pretty much Judge's stat line, uh, playing fifteen fewer games. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 skeptical <laughs> that he will be that good. Pavich, who's your rookie of the year? Um. So I was also thinking Cruz, but uh, I saw earlier today that the Reds are going to have Hunter Green on their starting roster for opening day. He's going to be starting one of their opening weekend games. Uh, so why not? I'll take him. I feel like I've been hearing about Hunter Green since 2011, which is weird because <laughs> he got drafted in like 2018. But, you know, that's not a bad pick. Um, I'm you Look, I'm, I'm the chalk pick. I'm not an interesting person to go to casinos with, but maybe that's why I've won this contest and you two haven't. Uh, I'm picking O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, he's going to start the season in the minors. Uh, they're not going to keep him down there for very long. I don't believe it's going to be uh, what? When's the Super Two deadline? Like mid-May. Uh, yeah. He'll be back up. He'll be playing every day because what the hell else do the Pirates have to do? So yeah, I'm, I'm going to take him. Um, AL Cy Young Award. I'm very curious if there's any deviation in any of our picks here. Nah, Garrett. I go with the man. Yeah, I, I, I would take Garrett Cole too. I feel like somehow Garrett Cole has become underrated, uh, <laughs> which is super weird. <laughs> and um, I think people—I don't know—there was like some—I don't know what stupid sports talk idiot was saying he's not an ace anymore. And I don't know. I just feel like people are not respecting Garrett Cole enough. No, I definitely agree with that assessment. And like, I think I think who was it? it was like MLB. Had him as the seventh best starter in baseball. So that was that was Sarah like like Sarah Lang doing her top ten picks. Oh well, we can, we can discard that um, because he's still a top three starter in baseball. And I think part of it is also just like the recency bias of he was injured and didn't do well in his last few starts, and then kind of kind of bombed in the wild card game. But that I mean, he's still like I said, he's still a top three pitcher in baseball, and I stand by that. I think he's I think he's top two. I think that I think that Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole are the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, I still, um, I think it's Degrom Cole. I mean, I think well, so we're going into the NL Cy Young picks. I'm going to assume that. Degrom yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's lame. That's a lame pick. Have some, have some guts. <laughs> Jacob Degrom going to, Jacob Degrom going to have 110 great innings 
again, fantastic. Yeah, Have that's the concern, right? Um, I think I'll go with his teammate and take Scherzer. Ooh. I would really dislike that. It's going to be so annoying if that happened. I love Max. That would be so annoying. Uh, I'm taking Walker <laughs> Bueller. I think he would have won last year if he didn't have the back issues uh, sort of towards the end of the year. Um, I think that, that that Dodgers team really needs an ace. That pitching staff is a little bit scary uh, and not in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I question whether Corbin Burns, who, again, I think Corbin Burns is maybe the best pitball. Um, I question whether he'll get the innings that Walker will. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to pick Burns, but I think if DeGrom pitches 150 innings, which I feel confident he will, I do think he's going to win it. Um, but I actually do. I, I think Burns has sneakily become, like, definitely put himself into the conversation as the best pitcher in baseball. I do agree with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to go for a new pick in each one. Yeah. If Jacob DeGrom, if Jacob and, DeGrom is currently projected for 164 innings, are you taking the over or the under on that? Sorry, repeat the number? 164. I'm going under. I don't think he comes close. Yeah. I... He has flown too close to the sun. <laughs> I'm going under, but like just barely. Like I think maybe he's like a 160-inning season. I'm thinking like 140. I'll also take the under. Sad day, sad day for the DeGrom fans. Um, AL MVP. This one, I feel like, can go in a bunch of different directions. So, like, this is this can either be a really interesting debate or a really one-sided one. Because it all depends on what Shohei can follow up on. If he is even remotely above average as both a hitter and a pitcher, I just feel like it is impossible to argue against that. That is just so much value. But if he tapers off in either direction, then then you've got debate. And if that's the case, I'm going to go with Vlad Jr. Yeah, I really want to pick Vladdy. But like you said, I mean, if Shohei does even like 85% of what he did last season, I don't think there, I think it's not even, not even a choice. Oh, hard disagree. 85%? No. 85%? I think, no, no, I no, still no, no, think no. he wins it handsomely. No. Because you have a novelty tax. Well, okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think? Do you think there's a novelty effect, and do you think some of that's worn off? So, so that's so that's what I'm saying. Like, like if Shohei has the exact same season he had last year, then then yeah, I think he probably. I mean, I don't know what Vlad's going to do. If Vlad has a better season, I don't know. But like, if Shohei has the exact same season he had last year, then he's MVP. He's going to get a lot of MVP. If Shohei is eighty to your point, eighty five percent, I think there is a novelty tax of. Okay, yeah, he's still super valuable, but we've seen it. Um, and and where that value is, like if his value is a really great D eight and a slightly worse pitcher, I think that it would really hurt him. I think that voters would say he's a really great DH and that's good, but he's not yeah. as good of a pitcher as he was last year. So yeah, I agree we, with that. We ding him on that end. That's well, what I think. I, I, I think he definitely if his numbers favor his pitching performance over his offense and his offense still obviously holds up. Yeah. I think that would be a better end for him than hitting 50 bombs, but being like a above four ERA pitcher, you know what I mean? Like a 3.8, whatever. Okay. Let me, no, let me ask you this then. If, if Shohei hits 40 bombs, pitches a hundred innings of like 25% strikeout rate, like 3.5 ERA. And let's say Vladdy like takes even another step. 
Do you think it's close? Do you think I, Vlad- like I think if Vladdy like I think if Vladdy takes another step, I think he's the best player in baseball by like yeah. a pretty good margin. So okay, so like let's say so uh, Shohei Otani put up eight point one wins. So he had an eight win season last year, three point one eight ERA, and uh, he hit forty six home runs last year. Yeah. What? Jesus. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. So, so you are you are roughly saying that Shohei will be roughly as good offensively and then slightly worse on pitching. Right. So we're looking at a seven and a half win player, yeah. roughly, right? That's what I was thinking. I think if Vlad takes a step forward, Vlad's better than a seven and a half win player. Even at first base? I think so. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. He, he might. He might be the best. He might be the best pure hitter in baseball, certainly in the American League. Oh, I'd agree with that. But I think I still think I. I'm not sure that the novelty has worn off quite that much yet. Maybe I, not. It's, I still think Shohei wins and is closer, but still, yeah. I think, and this is a fault mostly of the system, but I think if the Angels are still bottom of the barrel when he does that, then the novelty might wear off more often. Oh, yeah, that's a fair point. Which they will, because as I've said, Mike Trout is a six-win player this year. Um, I pick Vlad because I don't think I do not, I'm sorry, I do not believe that Shohei Otani is going to stay healthy. Is it upsetting to think that maybe I, there's a reason why people don't do what Shohei Otani did. I think the stars aligned for him last year. It was great. It was historical. We're going to talk about it. I don't think there's a chance it happens again. Uh, Still a good player, but not was. Uh, And then I think that, like I said, I think Vlad is is the best player in the American League. Um, So who picked who picked Corey Seager? John. What a bold decision. Well, I mean, he, he also picked Nestor to win the Cy Young, so. I mean, if you look at Nestor, pitched better than Garrett Cole down the stretch, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on now. 98 innings? <laughs> NL MVP. Um, this one is, this one is, kind of had a chunk taken out of it, the fact there's no, there's no Fernando Tatis Jr. for, till June or whatever, but uh, do we, do we disagree on this one? No, I think we all have Soto. And I want if if Acuna was starting the season healthy, then that would have it wouldn't have been as automatic for me. But I think he's also targeting a June return. So I, I mean, it's Soto. Yeah, Soto as well. Yeah. Okay. So if there was, so um, sorry, who has the wrestling name to be determined? Uh, give us like thirty seconds, and we'll let you speak. Okay. Um, I hope you come up with a good wrestling name. Um, so the two that we sort of had consensus on were AL Cy Young and NL MVP. Consensus is boring. Nobody wants that. If there was an AL Cy Young that wasn't Garrett Cole, uh, who do you, who do each of you think it would be? Um, probably. I, I my mind is drawing a blank at the moment because I wasn't prepared to jump back to that. Oh man! Wow, I made you answer a question. Yeah, I know. Um, Peter. Uh, so that that's an interesting question. There's definitely a dearth of like really top end ace starting pitchers in the AL. Uh, like Giolito looked like he he would have been a Cy Young contender through the first half last season, and then like really after the sticky stuff left, uh, he was not very good. Uh, Shane Bieber, who knows how he ba- bounces back from injury. Dylan Cease, I think, is probably a good sleeper. Um, and then 
Like, I don't think Robbie Ray is going to do as well as he did last year. I don't think Kevin Gossman is going to do as well as he did last year. So, I mean, I guess if I had to pick a trio of competitors, it would be Giolito, Bieber, and Cease. I'm going to go very dark horse. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy who is projected to have the fourth best season in the American League, uh, and that's Eduardo Rodriguez. I feel like I feel like Erod is hilariously underrated, um, and I feel like moving from Fenway Park to Comerica, uh, there's very little you could do that would more enhance your status as a great pitcher than get out of Fenway as a left-handed pitcher and go to. Um, so yeah, let's 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 have fun. Yeah, I, I took all chalk picks. Let's 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 be interesting. Pavich, have you made up your mind yet? I think I did, and I'll go with. One of your f- former favorites and pick Lance Lynn. Oh, love it. St- former favorite, still favorite. Still oh, favorite, man. but I'm surprised you didn't bring him up. MVP, not Juan Soto. Peter? But I didn't hear that question. What was the question? NL MVP if it's not Soto. Oh. Uh, Man, that's tough because, like we said, there's no Tatis and no Acuna. So, uh, maybe maybe Trey. May, mm. I mean Harper. Maybe Harper as well. Patrick? I think my actual pick for this question would be Harper, but since I'm not repeating it, anyone who won, I think I will go with Freddie. Freddie Freeman. Yeah, sure. Why not? Who has already won an MVP and therefore breaks your rule? No, not current. Oh, oh, you're picking no repeats. Okay. Yeah, I'd probably take Trey, too. It is interesting to this point about Acuna. Like, he's projected to play 134 games. They've already baked in the fact he's going to miss some time to injury. And he's still projected to be the third best player in the National League. So, like, who knows, man? Um, That's fun. That's very fun. But, yeah, I think I'd take Trey. I think he makes the most sense. Um, We're going to do a very quick draft because we've talked a lot. But uh, wrestling name to be determined. Uh, you have been very patient. What is up? Hello? Hi. How are you? Oh, I thought it cut out. I was like, okay, my internet Okay, my internet just cut out. Never mind. No, you're good, man. What's up? Okay, I got a prediction of the Yankee season. They go 85 and 77. Fourth place. Get beat out for that seven seed. Wait, no, six seed by the Tigers. Okay, Bold that pick. is a hot take. But I will say, bit of a teaser for our staff predictions. I was looking at our predictions for the AL East, and surprised that so far to this point, no one, no one had picked the Yankees to win the division. But there were quite a few people who didn't even put them second. So like. Not as hot of a take as I initially like. My gut reaction was, "Oh, spoiler alert! I don't have them second in the in the division. I think I think that they're the third best team in this division. I think yeah. that they're better. I don't think that they're better than the Red Sox. So I I think the Red Sox are gonna fall up. I have no faith in them. Uh, that pitching staff is a mess. Yeah, I mean you can't. They're basically counting on Sale to give them 180 innings. That's just not gonna happen. Chris um, Sale doesn't have a rib. Yeah, whatever's like, wrong with him. It's true. Like, he did have TOS, but but um yeah, no, I think I think the most of, of the people who filled it out, like yeah, f- seven people have filled it out and four people have the Yankees in in third. 
And I do think that they're the third best team in the division. I mean, you do, you cannot pick them ahead of the Rays until we until we see it happen. And the Blue Jays are just. I mean, I really do think the Blue Jays put themselves head and shoulders above above the uh, their division rivals with the additions they made. So now, having said that, at some point the fucking Rays something has to be done about them. Um, okay, so let's move to our draft. So again, I was going to do weird contract clauses, but um, there's not that many. Um, and then I remember, like, back in, like, the lockout days, we were, like, struggling to come up with content. And Peter was like, let's have a draft about overrated foods. And it didn't feel right at the time. But I, make prom- I made promises to people, and we're going we're gonna to expose some, some food takes. Um, so it's going to be a really simple three-round draft. Um, I'm super interested what Pavich is going to take because he, uh, like I said, he's a chicken strips child. Um, so you know what, Pavich, uh, we will actually give you the first pick. You get oh, the first John. pick in the overrated food draft. And the Jake spi- and John, I need Jake and John to stay on this space <laughs> so that we can collectively roast a guy who's supposed to be our boss. Jake is an equal to me. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, by the way, this is like the hottest topic that ever comes up in the PSA Slack. Whenever food is mentioned, it becomes a war zone. Um, you guys say soda. It's unsettling. <laughs> and so with my pick, uh, I'm going to take tacos. Wow, you actually just took my... You you, you just drafted what I would have drafted first. So, so since tacos are taken, I'm going to no, go... No, no, stop, 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 stop why you have to pick and then say why you think it's overrated. Okay. okay. You, can't just, oh, okay. you can't just leave okay, it out fine. there. We need a but, record of why you think. Sure. Because, okay. So I'm picking tacos because a people talk about them nonstop, but B there are a lot of places that don't make good tacos. Like you need to go to a good place to get good tacos. Okay, a riveting argument. Thank you so much. I'm glad Listen, that you are paid. I'm glad that you are paid to have opinions on things. Peter, not paid to have food opinions. Your first, your first pick. Uh, so since tacos are taken, I'm gonna go with cooked spinach. Uh, it's slimy. It is reminiscent of something you'd find at the bottom of a reclamation pond. Um, it tastes musty and fetid and really just yeah i can't i can't stand cooked spinach okay but like i think we were doing this draft wrong <laughs> although i think you are doing this draft wrong i don't think that people are eating cooked spinach uh i think cooked spinach is pretty popular and i can't stand it with who nursing homes with with your with your american i'd say Okay. All right. I can't, I don't have a, I don't have a grip on the American palate. Clearly. Uh, my first pick is avocados, um, for several reasons. Uh, first of all, um, they've become a status symbol, which is something that I hate about food. Uh, food is like one of the most, is like the most common and universal, uh, human experience outside of like urination and sex. Um, it's avocado, like it's food. Like we all eat, we all come together to share food and avocados are like you are it's gone from like it's gone from like i like the taste of this thing to i am making a statement about who i am by purchasing this product um and uh also like this big pit in the middle is very stupid uh you can never get it out 
Um, everyone has like a secret guac recipe that is actually terrible. Um, yeah. And, oh, and they're terrible for the air. So bad for the environment. Uh, we're going to all like be eating sand because you people couldn't resist avocados. I think you make some valid points about it being a, a status symbol and an exclusionary food item. Um, I think that the inability to get the pit out is more a problem than an avocado problem. I mean, I've never once had trouble getting the stone out of an avocado. So I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority, but. Pavish, are you allergic to avocado? No, I'm not. Okay. What's your second pick? Uh, my second pick is bacon. Because. Yes. Oh okay. My God, I agree. With this. this is a good take. Good tip, breakfast food it just doesn't fit because like it's so chewy and like I'm I'm barely functioning as it is as I wake up. I do not want to have to waste the motor function to get my food down. I need something that just wakes me up and I'm good to go. Okay, you're just eating poorly cooked bacon then. I mean I've I've rarely had it, so it's possible, but like chewy, I agree. There's there are a few things in food more disappointing than chewy bacon, but if you have good crispy bacon. I'm sorry, that, that's one of the real pleasures in life as far as I'm concerned. Similar to similar to the avocado thing, though, like bacon, bacon has become a stunt food. And that would be where I take the most issue with it, where like you add it to things, again, to send a message rather than to, to enhance the overall flavor of the dish. So good I, take, Pavich. I agree with you. No, good I take. do think it's, it's overused as kind of just like a oh, bacon makes everything better. I think that there's a time and a place for bacon. And I think people who don't really have a well-formed cooking knowledge base just kind of toss it on everything. So, Peter, what's your second pick? Uh, I'm going to go with um, sautéed bell peppers. So, uh, like, what? <laughs> again, it, 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 <laughs> it's definitely a textural thing for me. They're very slimy. Um, and they're, but who is I, highly rating sautéed bell peppers? Uh, like, what TikTok do you open that you see? Okay, well, like, first of all, I don't making... have a TikTok, but literally, that's and... that's a you problem. <laughs> I, I, it's the opposite of a problem. But um, literally, every single like at Chipotle and at you know whatever Americanized Tex-Mex restaurant, they put like on fajitas and burritos and crap like that. They put freaking sautéed bell peppers. And okay, granted, maybe I'm not like approaching this this draft the same way that you guys are i'm just kind of naming foods that i really don't like that other people that i know like i just think it's putting a vendetta out there i i think it uh it 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 overpowers when you put it in a dish i think it overpowers the flavor of everything else and i just like if i'm eating something i just don't want it all to taste of like musty cooked slimy red bell pepper okay great i guess what's your third pick foie gras is that overrated Foie gras is amazing. Among your circle of... Oh, so you murder geese. Great. Even better. Oh, uh, fir first I force feed them to give them fatty liver disease, and then I murder them. Yeah. Um, my second pick is pop. Um, it's awful. Every, every version of it. Um, Coke, Pepsi, Orange Crush, uh, root beer. There's this root beer renaissance that I don't understand. Um, it's so bad. It's so, first, it's so bad for you. Like if people, like if you want to make a healthy change in your life, stop drinking any kind of pop, even like diet Coke and Coke zero. Don't drink that either. Um, just stop 
putting like carbonated beverages that aren't just carbonated water in your body. Um, it, they're entirely too sweet. Uh, they, they feel like your mouth is like, there's like a bee in your mouth. Um, it's, it's as, it's as, it's as it has all the downsides of like the mouth feel of alcohol without like the upside of like, you feel better about yourself for an hour. Um, yeah, it's, it's pop, uh, canned, bottled, I guess like fountain fountain is even worse because you see the syrup coming out and then you just get like the carbonation in there. Um, yeah. Pop is awful. Calling soda pop. Like you're someone from the Midwest in the 1950s. I'm from Canada, which is essentially the Midwest in the 1950s, (laughs) but you know, we're, we're tabling uh, nationalized pharma care. So it can't be all that bad. Um, have it your third pick. All right. Um, this is going to get my New Yorker card removed. Is, but it pizza? My pick. is it pizza? No, it's bagels. Oh, that's hmm. not. Yes. <laughs> and uh, this is just purely a personal preference. I've never cared for bagels. So there's my pick. I mean, I've definitely had bagels that were really bad, like really doughy and chewy, but I've also had some near religious experiences eating the most amazing bagels from New York. So you're on your own on that one. I think that like, I think that um, what I would say is um, first of all, like New York bagels are not as good as Montreal bagels. And I think that New York has this thing about its food where like, if it came from New York, it must be the best. Um, So I will defend it religiously. Yeah. I guess I guess I agree, um, but I'm also just like, yeah, eh, whatever. That one doesn't that one doesn't get me all that excited. Bagel a bagel is like a bagel is like for me at least in my life like a bagel is like drafting a left tackle in the NFL. Like it's like it's not like it's just a solid dependable presence. Uh, it's not going to win any it's not going to win any awards. It's not going to be super sexy, but like you know, I get up in the morning, I make a bagel, I go to work, so uh, whatever. Oh, I mean, that means you're just doing bagels wrong. It's it's really a vehicle. It's a vehicle for all the amazing toppings you can put on it. I mean, cream cheese and smoked salmon and capers and, and red onion. It's like, I mean, come on now. I'm not doing that before I go to work. That's okay. entirely okay. too much well, effort. I'm, I'm not going to eat a bagel unless I have the time and capability to put those toppings on it. I'm not just going to eat a bagel for the sake of eating a bagel. Okay. Well, I have a day job, so I'm <laughs> I got to go to work. Um, Peter, your third pick. Uh, raw tomatoes. Again, who is highly rating raw tomatoes? That might be the wildest one yet. I'll be honest. This is not food. You're really bothering me. This is not food that you dislike. This is food that other people talk about a lot and they're wrong about. Or food that occupies a cultural space that, ugh, there's no cultural space allocated for tomatoes. Okay, 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 okay. If, if I'm just, I'll put the tomatoes aside for a second, then because I am clearly approaching this differently than you want me to. So I'm gonna go. Yeah, we're gonna go to the MLB I'm, draft, and we're gonna start. I'm gonna go with pepperoni pizza, specifically pepperoni okay. pizza, because I See, think that there's plenty of other, plenty of other toppings that I'd rather have on pizza than pepperoni. It's too salty. That's fair. All right. 
Um, my my third pick is uh, any kind of sub, uh, specific specifically chain subs, um, but really any kind of sub. I think that I think that subs, if your sandwich is bigger than say, uh, you know, six inches in diameter, uh, sort of from a full sandwich size, um, I think that that number one, that's entirely too much bread. Um, number two, it's just, it's just so, so like boring. Like, uh, I don't know, man. Again, like you see like people on TikTok that have like, they go to like an Italian rest or deli and they get like a foot long sub. It's got eight kinds of meat on it, cheese on it. And I'm like, you like, it, it's a, it's, it's stunt. So if you, if you, if you go high end, it's a stunt food. If you go low end, it's Subway who continually are like, sued for making cake instead of bread and no one seems to care about it um yeah i don't know i just uh, any kind of any kind of sub i like a sandwich i like a good sandwich it's a great sandwich place uh, not that far from my apartment that i frequent uh but but subs specifically very very unpleasant eating no, experience i think i finally agree with you on this one i think i do think subs and especially chain subs are are highly overrated. And like you said, I don't like, do people realize they're eating a whole loaf of bread? Like that's a yeah. third amount of carbs. Yeah. It's terrible. Do we have any honorable mentions before we get out of here? Stuff that we would have picked mushrooms. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not a fan of mushrooms, dude. It tastes like death. It tastes so like, like, I want to just, like, I wanna just like, I want to, I want to say like, just for the benefit of the folks that are listening, if you're still listening at this point, um, so when I put this in Slack, I was like, I promised Peter we do an overrated foods thing. And, uh, Ryan was like, this is going to suck because I'm a really picky eater. And I'm like, Ryan, you're 27 years old. Um, but 24, thank you. You're 24? Yes. Uh, what? We've had this conversation before. Have we? I don't think we have. It's like what you it, said. In the general Slack, we did. The only thing that's worse than editor is a baby editor. <laughs> I don't respect you. Um, okay. Okay. Um, what was I talking about? Anyway, you're 24. Don't be a big eater. And then Peter's, Peter just is against vegetables. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not against, I'm against vegetables. I'm against, I'm against vegetables. All of your picks have been vegetables. I'm, I'm against vegetables that have a distinct, unsettling texture. So, again, it's more of a textural thing for me. I don't need to be putting slime in my mouth. I'm sorry. Peter, Ryan, what were your honorable mentions? You're pushing me to have gotten what we got already. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, everybody, for following along. Um, hopefully, this will get up as a podcast, or it won't, and we'll just bury this because no one needs to hear about Peter's terrible opinions <laughs> on food. And it's really sad. Like A good like foundation of Peter and I's friendship has been like us sending each other what we're cooking because i think we're both decent cooks and had i known that peter's meals just involved like carbs and meat um (laughs) then i would have like i would have reevaluated our friendship but now i'm gonna have to do that anyway dark leafy greens except for spinach sure why not thanks everybody enjoy how are how are they does anyone have the yankee game on (laughs) did anyone tell me how they're doing (laughs) I I had to move out of the room with my TV because it needed a quiet space for this. I have no okay. idea what's going on. I think Santiago okay. Espinal hit a grand slam. That's all I know. 
Uh, so not overrated, but extremely underrated. Santiago Espinal, I love that kid. I don't know how old he is. I clearly am not good at guessing ages, but uh, <laughs> Espinal, you know, we know like Vlad and Bo. Watch out for Santiago Espinal. Tricky, tricky little player. Um, enjoy the rest of screen training, everybody. We will probably do like an opening day preview spaces next Wednesday. Uh, this time slot seems to work really well for everybody. Um, opening day is next Thursday. The Yankees will be uh, taking on the Red Sox. Uh, that's exciting. Uh, we're getting to the point of spring ball where I'm just tired of spring ball and ready for actual baseball. And we'll get to see the, the Red Sox fall flat on their face, which I really think they will do this year. So uh, enjoy that, everybody. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. And uh, Josh, don't forget to work on your avocado pit removal technique. That's your assignment. I'm just not going to buy avocados. I'm that kind of a person. I'm a superior (laughs) person. So have a good night, guys. Yeah, have a good night. Have a good night.